Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of Gisela, myself, we are honored and blessed and privileged to be here. We um, wouldn't want to be anywhere else, but we know that you probably had a million, well, maybe 10, not a million, but 10 things you could have been doing today, but you're here by divine appointment. He is here to speak to you. I, I am convinced of that. I am totally believing that he has something for you today. I think it is amazing that you have brought the European delegation to Santa Rosa. We have the, the Swedish and we have the German, Indian, whatever, whatever we are. We are here to be your servants today. If you need prayer, if you need a word of encouragement, uh, a little push in a direction, we'll be willing to do whatever God puts on our hearts. Um, I am grateful for the honor mansion that put us up last night. My friend Andrea, that's what my traveling buddy of nine hours on the road yesterday. Um, we said, now we've died and we've found our mansion. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody tell me, is it lawful to take a bath and eat a Snickers bar? I don't know. I did it. I did it. I was like... I can't believe I'm doing this, but I was listening. I was listening to worship music, so I think that makes it makes it all good. It makes it all good. It's all good. Um, I don't know what you need to know about me. Not I don't. I have. I have. I'm one of those speakers. I t say nothing about myself. If you want to know about me, you come talk to me personally, because I'm here to share the word of God. I have. I have 30 minutes, and, and then I have another 45 minutes. So you don't need to hear about me. My name is Ingela Guzik. I'm, what am I, 50? <laughs> I was born 61. What does that make me? F 53, 54. Anyway, I love, I love thrift stores. I love organizing boxes. I don't know, that's, and that's about all. I'm a third world dentist. You can pray for me because I do go out on the mission field and I pull teeth and do fillings and do whatever God has me do. I give him my hands and he does what he wants. We have one missionary here that I know, Celeste. She is from Pristina. Does anybody know where Pristina is? What country? Kosovo. She's here on a little sabbatical or furlough or a couple of months. And um, we're so blessed that she could be. We've been out on the mission field together and love each other. Blessed that she's here. Let me just start by saying you are loved. You are loved by the almighty God of heaven. You are loved so much that he sent you his only son to die for you so that you could be with him for all eternity. That's all you need to know. Remember that on a daily basis. You are loved. You are his. He is your heavenly father. And he's coming back for you to take him to his home, to be with you for all eternity. Well, I have been praying a verse for Gisela and myself and I would like you to hear it. This has been my prayer for her and I today. From Deuteronomy 32. Let my teaching drop as the rain. My speech distill as the dew. As the rain drops on tender herb. And as showers on the grass. Some of you are tender herbs. 
And you need that gentle encouragement, and I pray that you will receive that today. Some of you are that sturdy lawn, and you need a good soaking today from his word. You know who you are. So receive what he has for you. But I have the privilege of unpacking the story today for you that we are going to be in in our theme verses. Um, this is from First Kings, ladies. This is the true reality um, miniseries of the Bible. There is everything in it from adventure, suspense, intrigue, conspiracy, power struggles, bad guys, good guys, wicked women, um, lots of death and justice, wars and battles, true worship in Solomon's temple, and disobedience coupled with idolatry and all forms of sin against the God Almighty. But as I unpack this story, before we get to the rain today, we need to look at the backstory. So let me introduce you to two characters. First, we have King Ahab, bad, bad, bad King Ahab. There's no other word, wicked, bad, bad, um, over the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah was in the southern two tribes, Israel's the 10 tribes in the north. This is what it says about him. It gives you the full picture. 1 Kings 16. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That's bad. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebeth, that he took as a wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbal, son of the Sidonites, and he went, listen, he went and served Baal and worshiped him. One sentence, let's sum it up and describe Ahab, a weak king and leader under the influence of an evil person, this is Jezebel, can be dangerous and destructive to many. That's him. Ahab actively supported the worship of Baal, in Israel, and under Jezebel's influence, there was a radical change in the kingdom of Israel. This kingdom went from tolerating, which is bad enough, the worship of Baal, to promoting it and punishing those who worship the true God and having them murdered. Bad, bad, bad news all the way around. Next person we have is Elijah, our hero today, besides God. The name Elijah means Yahweh is my God. And in the days when Ahab's government officially supported Baal and the worship of other gods, even the prophet's name spoke and told the truth. Yahweh is my God. It was, and we are at the critical time in the history of Israel, and it looked as if the worship of the true God might be completely eliminated in the northern kingdoms. This is what Meyer says in his commentary. The whole land seemed apostate. All of the thousands of Israels, only 7,000 remained that had not bowed their knee or kissed the hand of Baal. But they were paralyzed with fear and kept so still that their very existence was unknown by Elijah in his great hour of loneliness, unquote. So God chooses a man to speak for him. This is the beginning of our story. Elijah tells of the Lord's judgment upon the nation. In 1 Kings 17, 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, the inhabitants of Gilead, said 
to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. So this is where we begin. Now I have three and a half years to unpack for you. At the end of the day, we'll get to another prayer and the drought will be over. But Elijah didn't know how long this was going to be. Nobody knew but God. God in his mercy, I believe, extended this time waiting for the people of Israel. Elijah was not merely the prophet of this drought. In in the sense of prayer, he was the vehicle of drought. He prayed, inspired by God, and it happened. This is how James puts it for us. And he makes it very clear. Elijah, it says, was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Nature, like you and me, I don't know, maybe if we sum us all up, you know, then we might have the strength um, that Elijah had during that time. Everyone else, ladies, felt that God was silent or dead. But for Elijah, he was the God who lived. He was the supreme reality of Elijah's life. So now we're in a drought ordained by God, declared by the mouth of Elijah to punish for the wickedness that they were committing towards God during this time. And it was the tool that God was gonna use to turn the people back to him and to give up their idolatry. How long would it take? Nobody knew. There was not to be dew. Think of that, that's dry. There's not to be dew or rain for three and a half years. This was a dramatic demonstration against the pagan god Baal, who was thought to be the sky god supposed the Canaanite God of the weather and the rain. It's like in your face. Elijah showed that through this simple prayer to the God who lives, that Yahweh was mightier than Baal. This was not only a challenge to this phony God and his supporters, but it was that call to repentance. Let's turn back to God now before it's too late. Israel would not be saved through the drought, but if drought would shatter their confidence in Baal and drive them to the Lord, then it had done its work. Elijah said this in the face of Ahab, but also in the face of Baal. And that angered Ahab to no end. So it was his chief job to find and kill Elijah. He set out looking high and low, going to every country, sending delegates, find this guy and kill him because then Baal can send rain. If we just get rid of Elijah, then Baal can send rain. In a time of crisis, ladies, God raises up men and women who know the presence of God, who live in that presence and are bold in their proclamation of who God is. This is Elijah, the man that God chose through his trust and faith 
and prayer in the living God, he would eventually demonstrate to all in that region that God was the true God. And we're going to get to that point. Elijah had this important message through the drought. Wake up and turn to God. Wake up and turn your face back to God. For Elijah, God was real and he could be tested and the test is going to come. So much happens in between this, but let's get to the fast forward to this. After this kind of newfound fame, which made him famous, was that he spoke out against the king and apparently you don't do that and live. And he is ordered by God, instructed by God to go now and hide out. I want to spend some alone time, some quiet time with you, Elijah. I want to be with you and you alone. So he takes him aside to the brook Cherith. And he says, I'm going to take care of you here and you're going to listen to me. Don't you love that when God says, get away with me? Today is kind of like that day. You've set aside everything else. Get away with him today and listen to his voice because he would speak to you. God does this deep work in Elijah during this time. Through this, God taught Elijah the value of that hidden and devoted life. I love how personal God gets with Elijah. You need to read this story for yourself and just let that movie run in your mind. It is fascinating. It is amazing. It is exciting. He experienced during this time the supernatural work of God and, le- and learned in the solitude to trust, learned in the solitude to listen, learned in his alone time to perceive the mind and the heart of God. What do you want? So before Elijah could stand on that Mount Carmel, he had to learn to sit at that brook Cherith. Elijah had to break out of his traditional ideas of clean and unclean food, otherwise he was going to starve. Ahab had been on the lookout for him for a long time. So God is going to have to speak to him now again and tell them when the drought was over. But before he could do that, he needed Elijah's full attention, complete heart, complete devotion and dedication. So here we go. After three and a half years, God says, it's time. It's time. You need to go find Ahab. You know, the guy that's going to want to kill you when you see him. I want you to go to him. And Elijah has no problem. He has no excuses. He says, I'll go. I'll go and I'll stand before him. So in this meeting, as they meet, the two men, I would say these two superpowers, Ahab says, hi, Ahab, um, Elijah, you troublemaker, you. That's his greeting to him. I don't think that's a good first impression. And then Elijah says back, Hi, you troublemaker. You're the problem. I'm not a troublemaker. But because of your wickedness, because of your idolatry, you have caused this whole nation. This drought, basically putting his finger in his chest, this drought is because of you. You have done this to your people. You have brought this upon yourself. This drought was in direct relation to their disobedience, their idolatry, and their rebellion, and their sin as a nation. But Ahab saw Elijah as the problem. So what's going to happen? 
This drought was supposed to bring them back to God so that they could discover their need. I don't know about you, but this drought in California has brought us to prayer for rain, hasn't it? Think about three and a half years with no dew and no rain. This was to highlight their desperation without God and their lack and despair when they were without his blessing. God had a plan. So Elijah tells, hey, Ahab, I'd like you to gather everybody at Mount Carmel. Let everybody come, including the 450 prophets and the, and the 400 other. Let's all gather at Mount Carmel. And it only has two ways to go. And he pops the question when they're all assembled. And he says, how long, and he looks out over the people, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? How long are you going to keep one foot on, on one side and one on the other? How long are you going to stop making up your mind? How long is it going to take for you to choose one or the other? If God is God, choose him. But if Baal is, follow him. And you know what the people said? Nothing. Silence. Complete and utter silence. No objection, no repentance. They lack the courage to either defend their position or to change it. No rejection and no objection. No repentance. This is the worst kind of apathy. Silence. When you do nothing and when you say nothing. Perhaps in the mind of many today, we might be kind of like that. We kind of have a society that says, well, it's only important if you believe in something and follow your heart and, and you know, just be passionate about something. It's a very sad state. Some might have even become cold and have come to a place of compromise And maybe you're not even listening to God's questions of you anymore. Yet Elijah knew that it should never be like this. One or the other, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot keep walking the fence. You either serve Baal or you serve Yahweh. Another great leader that we know of in the Old Testament, Joshua, he said something kind of similar to this in Joshua 24. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your, fa- your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It was the mercy of God that he chose to show and, dis- and display his might on Mount Carmel, because you know what? The drought was gonna go on. And God said, enough is enough. They've suffered enough. Let's see what we can do. So they're all gathered. They're all at the Mount Carmel. There have been animal sacrifices. It's very detailed. It's it's very um, descriptive in the word. But they're there, and the prophets of Baal are waiting And they're calling out to their God, bring fire, consume the sacrifice, bring it, Baal, come, Baal, do it. Nothing, nothing happens. They yell louder, they cut themselves. It's a spectacle, it's gory, it's messy. Nothing happens. And then Elijah mocks them a little bit and they try even harder and nothing happens. God on one side, prophets of Baal on the other side, no match, right? 
Now the mighty name of God is going to be declared through Elijah's actions. God's powerful name would once again be worshipped and honored. So God, in this showdown before the prophets and before the people, you know what Elijah does? He says, come closer. He wants them all to experience this. It's like saying, you, you know, gather closer and I want you to see, I want you to hear, I want you to know what's going to happen. So he brings them closer and he takes 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes and he builds the altar right there. And he does the cutting and he does this thing of pouring the precious water, wherever he got water from, that precious water that nobody had, he drenches this altar. He drenches the wood. He drenches the sacrifice, pours it in a moat around it. Three times, he says, pour more water on it. And the people are astonished. They're looking, they're waiting. From the time when the prophets of Baal stopped their calling out to God and the time that Elijah starts calling out to the Lord God Almighty, doubt had filled their minds, doubt that Baal was not the true God. And they were open to watching and hearing and receiving from God what he might do. This is what it says. This is his prayer. Listen to Elijah. This is when everybody has come close. This is Elijah's prayer. Lord God of Abram, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done all the things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then, at this very moment, it's like the second he stops, then fire of God, the fire of the Lord fell listen to this, and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. Now all the people saw it, and they fall on their faces, and they cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said, seize all the false prophets. Do not let one of them escape. They seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he executed them there. Wow. Wow. God showed up with fire. It was important for the people to know, ladies, that this was the God Almighty, and that his servant was Elijah, and that Elijah spoke for him, that Elijah was God's man, because he'd been in hiding. He'd been gone. This is the man to listen to. Elijah did this according to the word of the Lord. It wasn't prompted because of his own cleverness, because of presumption or vainglory. God led Elijah to the showdown with the prophets of Baal. He cries out, I love this. Hear me, O Lord. I wonder what they were thinking. Is it gonna be the same thing that happened just with the prophets of Baal? He says, hear me, O Lord. The one thing that they needed was rain, but the one thing that God had to prove and God had to do was he had to judge their sin and he had to declare himself the Lord God. He does this, ladies, in our lives. 
he declares to you who he is. Their hearts were turned away from God as if their backs were in defiance and rebellion. And that's what, that's what Elijah cries. Turn their hearts back to you. Have you prayed those prayers for loved ones, family? Turn their hearts back to you, God. Before there can be rain, ladies, there needs to be fire. Judging the sin, repenting of wickedness, coldness, and rebellion. A change of opinion needed to take place, as well as the truth need to come back into their lives to declare that God was Yahweh and the one true God. Listen to Psalm 83, 18. That they may know that you, whose name alone is Lord, are the most high of all the earth. Change them, God. Prove them wrong. Turn them to you, Elijah cries. Write down that prayer somewhere and pray that. That's a bold prayer. When the fire fell, its work was beyond expectation. It would have been enough, right, if merely the, the bull, if the sacrifice was consumed and a little bit of smoldering, but God wanted to glorify himself. He wanted to show who he was. He wanted to demonstrate his power. He wanted them to have a visual impression of what he can do. Their sin was judged and their wickedness was brought to shame. God did not send the fire to consume the people. He loved the people. He loves his people. He sent the fire to consume the sacrifice. And it was the consequences of not repenting by the false prophets that led them to their own death. Pride, self-deception kept them from God. Three and a half years God waited for them to turn, and they didn't. He was merciful. He was gracious, but they rejected it. So immediately after the slaughter, Elijah tells Ahab to prepare for the rain. Now we have this moment in history, the moment that this, this retreat is all about. And how does he tell Ahab to prepare for the rain, he says, go eat and drink and get your chariot ready. It's kind of put the, put the keys in the ignition. Because Elijah, you know what he says? He says, he hears. Let me read this to you. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he bowed to the ground. And he puts his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. He tells a servant, look towards the sea. Tell me what you see. He says, I don't see anything. There's nothing. Seven times, he says, go again. And then in verse 44, and it came to pass the seventh time that he said, the servant says, I see something. I see a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So Elijah says, go up and tell Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down before the rains will stop you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black and the clouds and the wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode ahead and went to Jezreel. Ladies, 
It says that Elijah heard the rain off in a distance. It says he heard, there was nothing, there was not a cloud in the sky, but he knew it was coming. His ears of faith were already on alert. It's like that anticipation of God, that sense of victory, that sense of, of God answering. The funniest thing happened this morning. I was laying in bed. I'd woken up before my alarm, and I thought I heard rain. I was laying there thinking, oh, what a sweet thing, Lord. You sent rain today on the day of, you know, bring the rain. How sweet this is. Oh, this is so appropriate. And I was just, you know, and I could hear the trickle, and I was just laying there, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. I haven't heard rain like this in a long time. And I go up, and I pull the curtain. There's no rain. What was I hearing? It was the weirdest thing. It's like, how can you hear rain when there is no rain? How can you hear the pitter-patter when there is no? And I'm thinking, that's what Elijah, he, by faith, was believing God for something he hadn't seen yet. But he knew because God said there would be rain, there would be rain. Sorry, I don't mean to cry. But it's so amazing. It is so amazing. So after, ladies, after this tremendous display of the fire and a victory for God and his ways, a demonstration that proved that God was true, Elijah's job wasn't finished. Think of that. Elijah's job wasn't finished. It wasn't like as soon as the fire came, all of a sudden these clouds came and the rain started pouring. No. He bows before God and expects this even greater miracle. Clear skies and rain. I don't know how, God. I don't know when. I don't know. But you do know. Did God say that it was going to rain? Then it was going to rain. How and when I am going to wait for the rain. I'm going to get down on my knees. That's where God sends him back up, back up to Mount Carmel. As he bows his head, what a privilege, what an honor for, for Elijah to, and what a joy to commit himself till this work was finished in prayer. The prayer of drought seemed so long ago, but this prayer for rain was going to be the pinnacle of his life. So as he kept sending his servant, go, go look, go look. Think of this, Elijah hunkered down, hunkered down with his head between his knees. What was the normal posture of prayer like this? But he closed his eyes and he came before the Almighty God. He shielded himself from the visual and the distraction. And he said, my face before you, God, you and you alone. We are so affected by what we see and what we can't see. And when we can't see the unseen, the possibilities of God in our lives through faith. Hope, ladies, is that anchor sure because our hope is in him. Charles Spurgeon used this text as an illustration of the small signs that precede a mighty work of God. And he speaks of four things. If you're taking notes, there's four things that are certain signs and tokens for that prayerful faith clearly when an awakening and a genuine revival is about to come. 
We should regard these things as small clouds. The first one is a growing dissatisfaction with the present state of things and an increasing anxiety among the members of the church for the salvation of souls. The second thing is when this anxiety leads believers to be exceedingly earnest and boldly persistent in prayer. The third thing is when ministers and people who are in ministry and following the Lord begin to take counsel with one another and they say, what, was, what must we do? What can we do to bring this on? The fourth thing is when we see the doctrine of the individual, you and me, the responsibility of each Christian fully felt and carried out in our individual lives. No more messing around. No more compromise. Ladies, we only have one life to live. My days, your days are numbered. How many do you have left? I don't know. How many do I have left? I don't know. God knows. Is he asking you and I to live boldly in our last days? Do it. Do it for his glory. The prophet Habakkuk, or Habakkuk understood this when he prayed, I have heard all about you, Lord, and I am filled with awe by the amazing things you have done in this time of our deep need. Revive your work. In this community, Lord, revive your work as you did in years gone by. Show us your power to save us. And in your anger, remember your mercy. The prophet Hosea, another great man used in unusual circumstances, he knew a thing or two about God's ways. And he didn't shrink back. And he didn't cower to walk in righteousness even when others weren't. Ladies, you might be the only one in your neighborhood. You might be the only one in your workplace. You might be the only one in your school or your place of influence. Don't think for one moment that it's going to be easy. The cultural challenges are openly resistant towards God. And for you to live a life of righteousness before God is going to be harder. Mark my words. Prepare now for it. Now when we can prepare for it, gird yourself, prepare yourself. Get ready so that you won't be caught off guard. Are you filled with awe of God? Are you enthralled with him? Is he your all? Is he everything that he is supposed to be? And does it show in your life? Do others know? Are you a secret saint? Let me close with this verse. Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon us all. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. We live in the days of Elijah. 
And you want us to take sides, and we want to side on your side. We want to be on the victor's side. We want to be on the side that says we have won, and we are just ready to come home. We are ready for you to take control over all things, Lord. But until you come, we want to proclaim your name. We want people's hearts to turn back to you. We want them to turn back to you, God. Send us out as Elijah's into this world with the message that you are the God who loves and saves sinners who are lost. Reign your righteousness down upon us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.